Hello! Today we're going down a completely different route on a subject we have never even broached on this channel before. And we are honoured to have Chris and John here who were brought up in the world of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Yes, we are going there. This is a litigious subject. So in the interest of journalistic integrity and balance, I am perfectly open for the Jehovah's to have their own people come on and give the opposite side to the story and rebut anything that is said in here today by Chris and John. Thanks for coming on, Chris and John. That's a very striking T-shirt. Could you explain what, what that's Thank about, you. please? Um, well, uh, Vast Apostate Army... Uh, is a well there's a few groups now it's kind of become quite a big term that we've been using in our community um, the Jehovah's Witnesses will refer to anyone who has left their organization as an apostate, an apostate. and anyone who speaks out against them is an apostate now the the word apostate is not an offensive term it's just a description of someone who's gone against their what's the dictionary definition well is my oh, understanding can we get all phones on silence <laughs> <laughs> what's the dictionary definition uh, my understanding is that the the term apostate is used for anyone who's basically changed their belief okay very simple yeah but the way the organization views it if you were to call somebody an apostate it's an extremely damning <clears throat> term if if somebody is an apostate then members will have to completely distance themselves have nothing to do with these people and treat them as if they're dead wow so we're reclaiming it before we get into this story of corruption and abuse then do you guys just want to introduce yourself to the viewers say a little bit about your backgrounds well how, how, what brought you here um well i was raised as a jehovah's witness from a young age um, my mother became a jehovah's witness when i was a baby and my father joined when i was about five years of age um so yeah i've been raised as a jehovah's witness um and it, it's affected my entire life, even though I left in my late teens, early 20s. So that's what we're here to tell you about. Do you want anything to add to that, John? Well, I'm, I'm older than Chris. I know you wouldn't think so. But <laughs> I um, I'm 68 at the moment. I was brought up as a Jehovah's Witness. My mum and dad became Jehovah's Witnesses when I was five. So right through my infant and junior and senior school, everything that Jehovah's Witnesses believe and influence, I I had that. Uh, I left school and became a full-time preacher of Jehovah's Witnesses. They call it pioneering, 100 hours a month knocking doors. Um, then I got married to a, a, a lovely Jehovah's Witness lady. She's lovely because she's a lovely lady. Um, and still married 48 years later. Um, I left Jehovah's Witnesses about 10 years ago simply because of, I had to deal with some issues of both my daughter being sexually abused by an elder who was a Jehovah's Witness. And only within a, only a year ago, I sort of came out that the fact that I also had been abused by a Jehovah's Witness as a boy. And I'd never spoken about that before. So... Um, I'm a little bit more outspoken now, not not a, not castigating Jehovah's Witnesses as such, but pointing out that there are some very dangerous situations within the religion that people need to look out for. And we're going to get to that. What's it like going door to door? I remember 
working in the stock market, we had to call 500, 500 numbers a day. And 490 people would basically tell you to F off. <laughs> what, what was it like going? Similar. Yeah. <laughs> I would say 500 told us to Yeah, I think it was one more than you. Um, yeah. The, the preaching is, I mean, obviously that's their key activity. That's what the Jehovah's Witnesses pride themselves in, uh, following a scripture that tells them to go and preach to everybody. Um the uh, downside of that to the community is it's quite annoying when you're you know sitting around on a Sunday afternoon and there's a knock on the door and it's cult members. But uh, for me as a kid, I mean, I was dragged door to door every Saturday, rain or shine, and I hated it, absolutely mm. hated it. But there was no choice. It was just something that we had to do. And you imagine knocking on the school friends' doors. and So, uh, so when someone lets you in, what's the objective then once you've got past the gatekeeper? Well, you didn't get invited in very often to be honest but yeah. sometimes people were very kind and they'd offer you a cup of tea and you'd have a chat and often the the, the um the result was you left them two magazines yeah. or a book so that um you then followed up the whole idea was to get your foot in the door in a nice way um so that you give you a reason to call back and then you'd say look we'll leave you these two magazines could you read them when we come back perhaps we'd like to know a little bit about whether you agree or disagree yeah and the whole idea is you you b become a friend, make a friend of them. And eventually, after a few calls like that, you might invite them to have what we called a Bible study, yeah, which was a regular weekly Bible study. And then eventually, you'd you'd invite them to come along to a Kingdom Hall, which is the the Church of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, and the next thing is you're talking about being baptized, which is a big big step. And then they've got you. <laughs> <laughs> so that would be a conversion for their, Conver from their existing religion. Conversion, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So just in case anyone thinks that's a nice thing, at first it seems nice. If you have Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door, they're generally nice people. Yeah. And that's one of the, the captivating things about them is they've got this message that's normally focused on love and peace and their future hope for a paradise earth. But it's only once you get deeper in and they got the hooks in that you start to be exposed to the more damaging characteristics of their group so growing up you were in constant fear of displeasing your parents yeah so the thing with their belief is that soon enough god's going to come along any day now and destroy the entire planet going to kill everybody and the reason is because they're not a jehovah's witness is what it comes down to um, the witnesses believe that they will survive this war of Armageddon and get through to a paradise earth where they'll live forever, um, which for them is a, is a great, exciting belief, and they're really looking forward to it. Uh, but for everybody else, then, yeah, you know, we're, we're doomed. But, the, yeah, <laughs> it's a bit heavy. Um, there's a few problems with that, um, obviously. But for me as a kid growing up, it meant that I was, first of all, in fear of my God. And uh, my dad, to me as a kid, was an enforcer. You know, I and I love my dad dearly. However, I always remember being scared of him. Enforcer? What What do you mean by that? So basically... Like if the I, Gambino family. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, if I, uh, if I didn't do something along with the the organization so if i wanted to maybe focus on activities outside or have friends that were not in the religion um it was always the the discipline that i'd get from my dad that i feared yeah. but the the real emotional trauma comes from the fact that 
I was trying to come to terms with who I was as a person. I'm trying to build friendships and everything I did felt like it was wrong. They, they're telling me everything I do is wrong because it's not in line with their organization. So um, just growing up as a kid in fear has quite a lot of psychological issues. That what come part of there. the country were you in growing up? Um, I was in the West Country. In the West Country. So when you went to school and things like that, would you get bullied or anything for being a Jehovah's? A absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I, at primary school, um, I was actually bullied by a teacher. Well, she was more of a dinner lady, but it was a very small school. Um, <laughs> so she absolutely hated the Jehovah's Witnesses. And, and because of the way my mum would do things, like she'll come into the school and try and preach and she'll try and stick her nose in, like the religious education side of it, I wasn't allowed to participate in at all. Really? So my mum was making enemies for me at a very young age. Oh, wow. Um, I'm sure she didn't really mean to, and mm. I kind of hope it wasn't you know her doing but i mean yeah. the organization really encourages its members to raise their kids as jehovah's witnesses and if you don't your your kid's going to die i mean that's what yeah. their belief is were there enough jehovah's in your area for you to have a clique of friends or did you try and make friends with people outside of the jehovah's there was so in our congregation um there was maybe four or five people in my age group that I could be friends with. Yeah. Um, but there was always this, it was like a competition to be the most, the best Jehovah's Witness. I mean, there's a lot of terminology I'm trying not to use here because it's the, the listeners wouldn't understand our, our ing language almost. Thing. Yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I did have, in fact, I had one very, very good friend growing up. Um, and as soon as I stopped going to the meetings, I've never heard from him since. Really? So that's how strongly they are about your attendance and your particip participation in the organization. I, th I think what it is that to help the, the, your listeners understand, the reason why we appeared so weird and odd is because of the beliefs of Jehovah's Witnesses that you don't, for instance, celebrate Christmas mm. or birthdays or Mother's Day or Father's Day or Halloween, or Guy Fawkes Day, or any of the Saints' Days. Um, so you're excluded from all of that. So you would either be sitting outside while all the, while all the kids were going into assembly mm. and prayers, you'd be sat on a chair outside. Well, I would be sat on a chair outside as the only kid. Yeah. And people shouting, Viney, why don't you come into prayers? Oh, that's sad, isn't it? And so you're, you're, you're singled out. The whole school know you, he's different. I, I loved football, for instance. Um, I could play football during school hours. If the, if the team played outside of school hours, you weren't allowed to play because there's yeah. no extracurricular activity. You are not encouraged to be friends with anybody who is not a Jehovah's Witness. Mm. You ca in fact, you can't be friends. Um, your mother and father would get into trouble as Jehovah's Witnesses if they allowed you to be doing anything other than what Jehovah's Witnesses accept. Yeah. So it's very much a status thing in, within Jehovah's Witnesses. And if your father, like my dad, was eventually became an elder, which is one of the, like a clergyman, if you like, but they call them elders. If your children were not good examples, you that was threatened to be taken away from you. Mm. So the reason why we appeared weird and odd is because actually we, we were one of a kind in our school. You might get another. You might there might be two or three Jehovah's Witnesses, but not often. Did you have any uh, holidays to celebrate within the belief system? No, no. So There's no celebrations the, at all. So this is the curious thing. Like while we were in, 
you know, we've always tried to find a scriptural basis for our beliefs. Mm. So not celebrating Christmas. Well, there's nowhere in the Bible it says to celebrate Christmas. I mean, that came later in history. Um, but things like birthdays, birthdays was a big one. Why not celebrate a special day for each person? And they'd go to the Bible and they'd find the only example in the Bible of a birthday. And that's where, was it John the Baptist? King got, Herod got, had John the Baptist beheaded. Had him beheaded. So, yeah. of course, birthdays are bad. So, you <laughs> work for John the Baptist. <laughs> and, and really, it's all very, it's all excuses. And, and even growing up, I was always thinking, this doesn't make sense. This isn't enough for me to, it's not an excuse for me not to just celebrate a birthday or give a friend a present. But really, what it all came down to was they want to control us. Yeah. They want to take away the opportunity for you to see unbelieving family members. Mm. They want to take away your worldly friends. They use the term worldly in a strange mm. way as a bad thing. Um, so it was all about control. And, and that's what it was like growing up. And, and all of that control is enforced by the belief that you're going to get killed by your God if you don't follow along. So it's a very serious and quite troubling thing to go through, really. So there was pressure on you to get baptised, but your dad said it had to be your decision. Yeah. So... This is this is the thing. The, the baptism is everything. A lot of religions uh, would baptize babies or children, um, and the witnesses always had a big issue with that because they said, "Well, you know, you've got to dedicate yourself to God, so you've got to be old enough to understand what you're dedicating yourself to." Um, the thing with me is that I was never really comfortable with getting baptized and as a kid you know when you get to around the age of eight they start to consider baptism um it's actually only quite recently they've they've kind of changed their stance slightly on baptism where if you're not baptized you won't get through armageddon uh when i was a kid it was more of an understanding that we until god believes you understand it you can kind of get through anyway you know it's it's not so much pressure so i wasn't under an immense amount of pressure from my parents but as i got older and i reached my teenage years the pressure started to really build and it was obvious to me then that the pressure wasn't so much my parents my parents were actually very understanding people um they were getting pressured from the congregation mm. so i started to get people in the congregation saying well, you know when are you going to get baptized you know you really should soon because they all believe that unless i do i'm going to die if armageddon happens to come tomorrow so they want me baptized but from an organization's point of view it's a way of being able to discipline me yeah. because if i'm baptized they can basically uh, excommunicate me if i do anything that's outside of the rules and you loved football, but were told that supporting a team was like worshipping a false god. Yeah, so I'm, yeah, I love football, unlike John. Um, <laughs> big part of my life as a kid, I used to love playing football, but, you know, I was never encouraged to do so because obviously it's a an activity that's not, well, well it's all taking time away from the organisation. It's time I could be preaching. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, like a lot of kids who love football, I had posters on the wall and all the rest of it my parents were pretty chill about it but it was quite quite a common phrase that they'd say you know it's like worshiping a false god if you're like idolizing these footballers they're like idols and false idols and comparing it to the israelites bowing down to a golden calf in the bible 
and it was it was crazy and and this is all stuff where you know they're almost trying to bully me into following this religion and to me that was it never sat right i mean i didn't really fully understand it at the time but yeah i just i couldn't figure it out i just never felt comfortable growing up it was not a nice environment it seems like a form of mental torture and to have that from all the way throughout growing up year after year after year how are you saying well um <laughs> i've had trouble <laughs> um you know it as i reached adulthood and i've ended up going off into the world figuring it out for myself a uh, bit of a late starter but um yeah i was diagnosed with depression and ptsd yeah. so it's, it's been tough yeah i can imagine going over to you then john so you were raised a jehovah's witness from age five mm. and you were in lincolnshire parents moved from kent yeah, my parents had a lovely house in Kent. It was like an idyllic house for a young boy. Um, there were woods opposite my house. So I'd, cross, I'd come out the front door, cross the little road, and into the woods. Fantastic. Um, they wrote to the Watchtower Society, who were the, the, the head offices of Jehovah's Witnesses, to say, do you need Jehovah's Witnesses anywhere else? Because there's lots of Jehovah's Witnesses around here in Kent. Um, so they were willing to give up that house Wow. And we ended up moving to a caravan in Stamford in Lincolnshire. So my mum and dad, three kids, <gasps> gave it all up. Uh, they, my mum's still alive, um, she's 94. They absolutely believed it 100%. So they were genuinely sincere. So this is not a knocking of my mum and dad's belief. Um, and so they uh, they moved they get, they gave up the comfortable lifestyle that they had in Kent and took us with them obviously and and I ended up in Lincolnshire I did my senior school in Lincolnshire and then I left school at 15 because as we mentioned that the the end of the world is always portrayed as just round the corner it's fact it's it's not just round the corner it's almost here so you don't you don't need a career so you don't need education so Jehovah's Witnesses don't don't partake in advanced education like university or anything like that. So I left school at 15, became a window cleaner, which I'm still doing 50 odd years later. <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, then I moved down to Wales. So um, and that's when I met my wife. So, yeah, it's been a, it's been a full on life as a Jehovah's Witness. Is your 94-year-old mum still in it, or has she become an apostate? She actually is an apostate, so we'll have to get her a T-shirt. <laughs> yeah. I'll look them up for her. <laughs> I think size large. Okay. We'll sort one out. Sorry, mum. Uh, no, she... she uh, it's strange you should ask that, though, Sean, because I was the first to, to leave. My wife was in it. Um, my, my two other children actually had left, but... All the rest of my family were in it, and I, I just found myself so mentally perplexed that I just, for my own sanity, needed to step back. I didn't even call it leaving at the time. I just needed to go way, get back, and I needed to step right back from what was happening. And then uh, my wife stayed a Jehovah's Witness for another 10 years, so I supported her, took her along to their meetings and stuff, until she discovered for herself that things were not as we thought and my sister 
who was very, very strong in her family, stopped. All her children stopped. So I'm, I'm in the remarkably happy situation right now that everybody I love and I'm close to is not a Jehovah's Witness. Sadly, I, I, I know, though, that um, that isn't the situation with lots of other ex-Jehovah's Witnesses who are really suffering because they are shunned because they've taken a step against witnesses and their family are making them pay for it. So what was your childhood like then? Were you banned from religious education and yep. unable to celebrate anything? Yep. Yep. We, RE, we called it, religious education, or RK, religious knowledge, which some of the kids called it. Um, no, I just didn't go into those classes. I had to go to the library and just sit and read. So you, you skip anything to, that could be perceived as being taught something that is against Jehovah's belief. Even science, for instance, if the lesson was about evolution, you wouldn't you wouldn't be allowed into the evolution lesson. What about medical beliefs? Do they differ from mainstream medicine? Yes, yes, and no. The big thing that Jehovah's Witnesses are known for is not taking blood transfusion. Ah. So, um, and uh, again, that's something I know a little bit about because I, in my. In my role as a Jehovah's Witness, I became the chairman of a hospital liaison committee, which was committees that went around talking to doctors about maybe how you can do operations without blood. Now, that sounds sounds as if I'm telling doctors what to do. That isn't the case. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses feel and felt that blood was taking blood in was against God's law. So if there was a chance of a blood transfusion, you had to decide no. Does that cause deaths? I think it has. It obviously has done. Mm-hmm. When I was a Jehovah's Witness, I would play that down and say, mm-hmm. "Well, you know, sometimes, yeah, it might do." But of course, it of course it did. Um, th- there, I must say, there are alternative situations and therapies that can be used on some occasions. Yeah. To be fair, mm-hmm. but when it comes down to it, if you needed blood. Then, and you didn't have it, then yes, it meant death. Agreed. So, Chris, um, the pressure mounted for you to get baptised. Your father was still calm about it. He was getting pressure from the elders. Your father was unable to become an elder while an unvarnished person lived in his home. <laughs> so <laughs> Unvarnished? I, I, well... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure about that might be a typo, but um, possibly. Um, but unbaptized, apostate. Maybe, <laughs> maybe baptized. It might mean, but uh, okay. Uh, yeah. So the situation at home, um, as I was, you know, not baptized, and I'm getting to that age where they feel that I'm old enough to have made that decision. Yeah. So you end up with this pressure to either get baptized or or leave. Yeah. I mean, they'd never say leave, but I mean, you're going to lose all your friends, you're going to lose your family. You're you're a kid who hasn't got a job yet because you've not gone to college either. Um, the further education is very frowned upon. Um, I did actually end up going to college very briefly, and a lot of the reason was because I I was going to go and build kingdom halls for them, so their churches. Uh, so I went to do a construction course that I had no interest <laughs> in doing whatsoever. Um, because it was nice to get a little bit of praise from the congregation after all the pressure. Um, but yeah, it was, um, 
it, the baptism thing because they they needed me baptized they they needed me baptized so they could discipline me if i do anything wrong but my dad was getting the pressure because he was such a an understanding guy as it goes um he was getting pressured by the congregation because he's not allowed to be an elder unless everybody in his household is a good jehovah's witness so yeah it, it was it's a really weird situation i just always knew that i wasn't pleasing to them like i was i was everything i did would would be obsolete unless it was to do with the organization and i i just hated the feeling of the home and it was made very clear to me at a young age that if i wasn't baptized or wasn't a jehovah's witness then i wouldn't be welcome in the family home so you mentioned discipline so there's a discipline system in place what kind of punishments did they meet out well other than with the jehovah's witnesses as a kid they they do support spankings and, and things you'd quite regularly hear in a meeting a, a young child making noise and get dragged out to the back you hear a slap followed by a scream um but the real discipline comes with the organization's control over the members so the psychological impact of just knowing that anything you do that falls out of line with the organization's belief results in your death i mean there's no <laughs> they're not not going to really happen because you know there is in my opinion no god who's going to come flying out of the sky and kill you but that's their belief you know you're not going to get into paradise but they punish you by just taking your family off of you you know if once you leave if you're a baptized person who leaves your family completely disown you um that's your parents or your even your children depending on your situation i'm actually really fortunate because i wasn't baptized um, so my parents, in their own words, don't have to shun me. So there's quite, there's been quite a few occasions where I've spoken to my parents about these things. Um, but, you know, I know their beliefs. I know they have all the answers from their literature. And, um, you know, I, I love my parents dearly and I, I do see them once every few years. Um, you know, we try Not on and, Christmas not on christmas <laughs> so yeah it's um it, it's just you know growing up even as an adult you know i, I always longed for a, a real family you know i you know i've just ended up with parents that are in this cult as i would call it um yeah and, and it's a very strained relationship i mean it, we talk about everything but the organization and i don't tell them about the music i like because they won't like that you know mm. they'll say what have you been up to can't tell you you know it's like, yeah so i mean i'm into my heavy metal and things so they, they're mm. not going to take an interest in that um you know it's just everything you do is always going to be displeasing to them until you come back into the organization mm, by design it's like I've watched that program. Is it the Westboro Baptist Church where the girl eventually got out of it? And speaking to you, I can see like some parallels. It's very similar. How, you know, she was out there picketing with them and saying these obscene things to yeah. passers by and stuff mm. because she was so indoctrinated and, and, and believed it passionately. It's, but now she's out, she can see the light and. What's very like, similar what happened to herself it's funny you should mention the west bros because when i watched that program 
it really hit home to me that the beliefs themselves are very, very similar. Yeah. The difference is the Westboro Baptist Church are very outspoken about their beliefs, mm. whereas Jehovah's Witnesses hide their beliefs. Mm. You won't have a Jehovah's Witness knock on your door and tell you, hey, we, you're, you're welcome to come into our organization unless you're gay. Yeah. Or you're welcome to come in and, and you have to completely believe everything we tell you and obey everything we tell you. They'll knock on your door and say, hey, there's this exciting hope for a paradise earth it's all lovely you can get yourself a pet lion one day you know it's all just fantasy but when you're in mm. it starts getting darker and and you're either someone whose mind can get fully involved and indoctrinated into it but if if you're somebody who's just you know not gonna be able to completely dedicate themselves to it then you're an outsider yeah that's scary okay going back to john then Left school at 15, no qualifications, became a pioneer, a full-time preacher of 100 hours a month, and you got baptized at 15. Yeah, that's right. Um, Well, as I mentioned earlier, Jehovah's Witnesses have taught for the last 120, 130 years that Armageddon is absolutely just about to hit. So why would you you be wanting to get a, a career? Um, you need to go out and just tell people they're, they're get you know you better get on board otherwise you're doomed that's really what the message is um, so I spent my time um, I, I now view it obviously it's a complete waste of time um, I had some really good experiences and, and there were some nice times as well it wasn't all bad but um a waste of a teenage and early early 20s life really so full-time preacher pioneer does that mean door-to-door preaching or does that mean preaching to audiences no door-to-door door-to-door yeah but of course part of the jehovah's witness routine is you attend the kingdom hall of jehovah's is the church in those days it was three times yeah you had three meetings a week and some of your assignments were to literally go to the front of the Kingdom Hall and give a, a speech, a talk, we used to call it. How so, many people would be in that hall? Um, well, when I first moved to uh, Stamford, I, me- I remember we met in this little hall upstairs in Ironmonger Street. I think there were 18. It was very small. Um, going back to Barry, where I was, we, we, we were hitting 170, 180 at one point. It's, wow. all, it's all gone down. It's all gone downhill now. But um, so, yeah, it's uh, the, the biggest audience I spoke to was 10,500, I think. So how did you meet your wife? She was a pioneer. She, she was a full-time preacher. I attended an assembly. Now, an assembly is a larger gathering of Jehovah's Witnesses where maybe 10 or 15 congregations all converge on a big hall and for a weekend there is there are speeches and talks so it's a good place good place to meet girls and boys um and so i met my wife there um went courting is the old-fashioned phrase what's the courting etiquette within the jehovah's you weren't allowed to touch even hold hands if you held hands and were seen you might get a visit from one of the elders um yeah it was it was very very strict there was no um there was no sex before marriage no sex before marriage in fact if 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 
you did and it got out, you'd be in serious trouble. In fact, you could be disfellowshipped. Uh, I don't know if you're going to be asking about that in the future, but someone who is disfellowshipped is the shunning part. And that's um, that's the expression that Jehovah's Witnesses use. For instance, t- my two of my daughters were and are disfellowshipped when they were like 15, 16. And that meant completely shunning having nothing to do with them if they telephone you don't pick the phone up if you if you pass them in the street you don't you don't say hello or smile um how does the group know who to disfellowship is there a meeting and they they announce who they're going to disfellowship yes so if for instance if i did something wrong let's just use that example imagine myself and my wife had engaged in say premarital sex the elders get to find out they'd have a meeting with me and my wife separately and if i said yeah i'm sorry yeah i did, did we did do that um based on my um repentant attitude might depend if i get saved or not but if i say look mate it's up to me what i do you you would um you would be disfellowshipped the next meeting an announcement would be made john viney has been disfellowshipped the congregation all know what that means. That means next time you see John Viney and for the rest of his life, including his mum and his dad, his daughters, his, his aunties, no one, no one speaks, invites them around, does anything unless I change my ways, say I'm very, very sorry, become a Jehovah's Witness again. Then that's the only way you can change that situation. And sadly, Sean, that's why there have been many, many suicides mm. from people who have been shunned because they they don't want to be a Jehovah's Witness. They're not going to be a bad person, but they just don't want to be a Jehovah's Witness anymore. But once you're baptized, that's a contract. It's a, Jehovah's Witnesses view that as a legal contract. And once you've baptized, even if baptized at age 8 or 9 or 10 or 11, you've said, I'm going to be a Jehovah's Witness and if you change your mind at 16 or 17, woe be charged you because you're out. It's like the philosophy of the cartel, punish the whole family. If, say, you become an apostate then, is there a risk that your family members will be disfellowshipped? Yeah, if they are seen talking to you, that was the situation I was in, Sean, to be honest, because two of my... Two of my daughters got disfellowshipped when they were 16 or 17. One of them had been abused and so was suffering emotionally. Another one had actually been raped in another situation. So I was trying to help my daughters. So I was seeing my daughters when I shouldn't have been to support them. And when I was spotted, I would get two elders come and knock on the door to say, we need to come and see you. You've been seen talking to your daughters. So I'd have to... I'd have to sort of give a reason as to why I'm seeing them. And if it was an acceptable reason, they'd say, okay, well, you don't let it happen again. And then maybe six months later, they'd be back. You've been seen talking to your daughters again. Uh, and if that was to continue, my neck would roll. I, I, As an elder, I'd be told, sorry, you can't be an elder anymore. So there's always this pressure on families. And that's why um, I think, as Chris was saying, the pressure is on the mum and dad, for instance, You've got to shun the children because your own spiritual life is at stake. So 
And that's what sort of nearly did me in because I was being stretched and stretched and stretched mentally because I had my two daughters that needed help. But I was being told, if you're going to stay an elder, you've got to keep away. And I'm trying to trying to help them and help them, but stay away, help them stay away. And eventually it got to a point where I was probably just on the verge of a nervous breakdown when I something clicked and I just thought, I can't do this anymore. There's something very wrong here. Before we get to that then, I'm interested in the ranks. So you be, you were a pioneer when you were a young person. Yeah. Then you went on to become a ministerial servant and then an elder. Right. And then you become chairman of hospital liaison committee. Can you describe what it's like to go up to each rank? Is there a ceremony, how you qualify and how you get to the next rank and what your duties are? Well... Um, both male and female can be pioneers. That's that's a preaching position. Um, but other than that, you can then leave the females behind because only a male can become a ministerial servant. And a ministerial servant is probably the equivalent of in church of a deacon. You do the more um, menial tasks. So you might handle the microphones in the kingdom hall you, you assist in the cleaning of the Kingdom Hall rotor. You might hand out magazines or books. It's more of a menial task. Um, some ministerial servants were allowed to go onto the platform and give talks to the congregation. But when you became an elder, normally around the age of 30, normally 25 to 30, that is seen as being a spiritual shepherd. Mm. You then have the responsibility of that congregation. And there's normally a body of elders, so you might get three, four, five, six, up up to maybe ten elders who all oversee the congregation. And that that theirs is the main responsibility of a congregation. But it's a, it's a, it's a male-oriented thing. And only males can be ministerial servants or elders. Don't they get sued for sexism? Strangely, no. Um, I... I'm always almost waiting for something to happen in that regard because, again, as Chris mentioned, if you were um, gay or lesbian, you, c- you couldn't be a Jehovah's Witness. You're kicked out automatically. Oh, you'd, you'd yeah. be kicked out. Would, that, and, would, and, would, would, would your family be punished? Um, well, if, if you lived under their roof as a gay person and they were seen to be supporting you by just letting you stay there, oh, yeah, they'd, they'd, they'd suffer. So, so someone who um, is is gay, or, or you could say um, anti anti women, the, the religion really is anti women. They would say, "Oh no, it's not. No, it's not." But you you couldn't be you couldn't hold a position within Jehovah's Witnesses and be a, a lady, and that's what I mean by that. Are the women then just encouraged to have babies? Have babies. Be good preachers. It's seen that the women they do have a natural tendency to talk, and I don't. And I'm not having a go. I I mean they are they're very interested in other people naturally. So I think women are seen as very really good um, good examples of Jehovah's Witnesses because they can they can hold a conversation, they can they can reason well. They get results on the streets. They do. Yeah, they do. Okay. Um, what about then racism? The sexism, the homophobia, is the racism. What do you think? Well, it's an interesting question that I would say overall, no. 
However, there have been occasions in the past where they have been extremely racist, but I'm talking older history in their literature. Um, now, it's a, a strange one because in the organisation, they believe they're guided by God and God's views or his feelings don't change over time. So surely something that's been written in their literature, even if it's in the 1920s, would still be applicable today. Now, back in, uh, I think it was 1920s, there was some literature that was saying about uh, black people not having the cognitive function of a white person and various other pretty sick things that they've said. But of course, that's just been, you know, put to hit the in the libraries of history and and that's that but in the modern day i would say no um in fact the organization in you know in africa and various poorer countries they are actually thriving at the moment and it's an interesting correlation between the education in the countries and the popular you know how many jehovah's witnesses are the population of them um, it's it's increasing more in poorer countries than it is in the Western world. In fact, they're reporting losses. Well, they're not technically reporting them because they quite often lie about their data, but they'll, they'll have maybe a 1% increase in numbers of Jehovah's Witnesses in, in the Western world, which is less than the birth rate of the Jehovah's Witnesses. So they're, they're gradually dwindling in numbers in the Western world, but thriving in, in Africa and in Malaysia and places like that, aren't they? Mm -hmm. um, but no, racism, I wouldn't say, is a, one of the more pressing issues with the Witnesses. It's probably one of the, the things they're better on, especially in the modern times. Who is above the elders? Um, the, the next person in the hierarchy, because Jehovah's Witnesses would not have that there's a hierarchy, but they do accept that there there is a um, someone who's then responsible for appointing elders. Now it's what's called a circuit overseer. So you maybe have ten or fifteen congregations. They are overseen by one person, a male, called a circuit overseer, and that circuit overseer visits each congregation for one week, about every six months. And when he's with that congregation, he will ask. Any any males reaching out, any males that could be potentially ministerial servants or elders, so he would perhaps meet with them. They would have a meeting with the elders. They would pray. They would get the Bible out and read scriptures about how what sort of person you needed to be, and then that circuit overseer would um, would appoint the um, the ministerial servant or elder, but. Above the minister, the, the I was going to say, who appoints the circuit? Yeah, the circuit overseer is appointed normally by the branch, the branch committee in the congregation in, in the country. Uh, in in our country, for instance, the um, the the headquarters now are in Chelmsford. They were in Mill Hill for many many years. Um, but the people that oversee all of Jehovah's Witnesses are in America, and they are at the moment eight different men. And we call them; they are called the governing body. And those governing body. those eight men um, are the, the they're the, the heads of the family. I should say. <laughs> you use the um, I think the mafia example. <laughs> I, I don't mean quite like that. But those eight men they they set the beliefs of Jehovah's Witnesses, and if anything needs changing, they have the power to change. And that literally means changing what Jehovah's Witnesses believe the Bible says. 
So you can you can get a, a major shift in a belief um, that for many 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 years they believe this. If Jehovah's, if the governing body think, do you know what we think now, it means that they can they can dictate that that takes place. And of course, then if you if you are the minions of the congregation don't agree with the governing body in that change, then you're you 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 stand a chance of being disfellowshipped as an apostate. Are they reluctant to change things? Are they reactionary? They react to lawsuits, don't they? Oh. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, they, yeah, they do. They, they really do. For, for instance, talking about a, an apostate, in 2012, in the Jehovah's Witness Bible, they put a phrase in about apostates, and they called them mentally diseased. Yeah. Okay. They actually referred to us as mentally yeah. diseased. <laughs> but but it got put in their Bible. Wow. So you've got the Bible, mentally diseased. I know for a fact that they were challenged legally that people were being called mentally diseased just because you decided you didn't want to be a jehovah's Witness anymore does that mean i'm mentally diseased we go to court over this guess what it's been taken out of the bible now but they haven't told their jehovah's witnesses it's been taken out it's just not in there anymore yeah so their literature is now all online or mostly online it used to be their magazines the ones they put through your door yeah. and now they're going a lot more towards the digital and it's quite curious there's been a, a quite a number of cases where they've written something whether it be a term like that or whether they've misquoted a scientist or, or something yeah. and they've had to redact it and then instead of obviously republishing the book they just change it on their website <laughs> and then you know jehovah's witnesses get this information and this is their doctrine you know they're taught this is what you must believe or else you know so they read it all through they get the understanding they're not going to go back and then reread it in their online library there's always new literature and, and this is what makes me view them more as a publishing company than a religion they it are all about the literature, all about producing videos. In, in, you know, nowadays, when I was in, it was always literature. Um, but it's a way of information control. It's a way of being able to manipulate the thought process and the beliefs of all the millions that follow them. So you said there's a board of eight people at the top. Is there a divine ruler above them? God. God is the divine ruler above Absolutely, them. Absolutely, okay. yeah. They, 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 um, they interpret the Bible um, they they call them spirit begotten. So they believe God's spirit operates on their deliberations. And that's why if you were to speak out against those eight men or subsequently the district overseers or the circuit overseers or the elders, because that spirit permeates down, if Chris and I was to say that the elders are, are rubbish, we'd, we're actually talking against God. Yeah, mm. it's quite a curious thing actually because they view themselves as the term they were using was inspired by God but then it was pointed out to them that actually if you're inspired by God or claiming to be that then you're a prophet therefore if you say something that turns out not to be true then you're an false apostate <laughs> and a false prophet and and it's a curious thing because in the bible it's very clear on that if you speak one thing that's not true then you're a false prophet so you know some of the stuff we've done in the community we've done is 
to prove that actually you have said things that have turned out not to be true and therefore surely you're a false prophet so then they say that well they're not inspired they're just um well spirit-led spirit-led they use all change the terminology (laughs) and of course all the witnesses suddenly go oh no no of course it's not that and they'll start arguing that on the street with us and it's very strange i mean it's almost comical at times the way they flip-flop with their beliefs but they'll never admit to that because it's you know like john said very clearly they everything that changes you just have to go along with it and and it's the one thing that really struck me with the witnesses and the teaching is that there's not a lot of logic in it you know you can have uh, quite common thing would be in the meetings you'll have somebody doing a talk about a set topic and they'll quote a scripture to back that topic up and a few weeks later somebody will be talking about a totally different topic and they'll bring up that same scripture to back up that topic and and that's kind of how it works and they chop and change all over the bible to try and prove their point and they're using scriptures in bits to position it around this one topic to make it seem true and yeah none of it ever really made sense to me even as a kid it just never made sense you know there's no critical thinking skills and their (laughs) brains get turned to mush you know it's it's quite remarkable and it's amazing how these high control groups or as i would call it a cult how they do that how they manipulate the members and uh yeah it's, it's very strange sometimes you can hold a conversation and, and it's quite spooky mm. so let's say one of the eight died how would a replacement be selected what do you have to do to qualify to, to become one of the you, eight going back to jehovah's beliefs they believe there are two classes of people there are millions and millions of the faithful jehovah's witnesses that are going to live on the earth in paradise But there's a select number of 144,000 that the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, comments on. Those 144,000 are like God's government. They they liken it a little bit like to Parliament. There's 650 MPs in Parliament. We're not all in Parliament, but those 650 rule over the millions. So you've got 144,000 that are going to be ruling over the millions. If you're one of those 144,000 of which there's a small remnant left of about 18,000 who claim to be of that number, you've got to be one of that number to get yourself on the governing body. So you've got to be male, you've got to be an elder, you've got to be uh, very, very active, have a very good record um, and show potential and, and, and eventually you might get you might get recommended to go to live in, I don't know, it'd be, it'd be New York or, or yeah, New York State now. Um, they might keep their eye on you for a few years and then they'll say, yeah, he's, he seems to be proving himself. Let's have him on. So it's, a, it's not an easy task to become one of the eight. The more senior members then, do they wear something to identify their status or are no. they just... They'll look like any, any other member i mean usually there'd be an older older gentleman but um no they they wouldn't be recognized by anything they wear but you certainly would would know them from their website you know they're quite often on their on their tv shows and things um which actually it brings me to another point when i was growing up i always you know i didn't know who the governing body were i i and I knew there was a governing body. I just never knew who these guys were. I never saw them. They didn't really appear in any of the literature. Um, my belief would have been that they were very um, wise, very spiritual men. And I always had this image of Jesus and the way Jesus would 
preach, you know, to the disciples. And I viewed these people as quite revered, even though I'd never seen them. And it's quite surprising in the modern times where they've started up with their um, televangelism, basically. And these guys have suddenly mm. appeared on screen. So they're all um, like public figures now, aren't they? No, they the whole, are. The whole eight. No, like, they're like film stars, are actually. They? Now. Oh, yeah, yeah. But the thing that really struck me the first time I laid eyes on these guys was how weird they are. They are like <laughs> two of them, especially absolutely hilarious. The the way they act, I mean, they're they're crazy. They they you know you can imagine you know the, the uh, I can think of a few big American preachers, televangelists. Um, some of them seem like they're possessed, and that's exactly what we mm. found when we suddenly laid eyes on these say, guys. Be careful, Chris, because you're becoming an apostate. I now. know, right? Be... <laughs> I, I've got to be very careful. What um, are the symptoms of possession? <laughs> That you saw in them well you've it's just the way they speak i mean the it's it's a very very strange thing the way a few of these guys speak they're quite patronizing in the way they speak they're very eccentric and it's almost like as soon as they start speaking you're supposed to just zone in and you know the eyes turn into spirals and this they're, they're telling us stuff you know it's it's really really weird i mean I'm sure any of the viewers could even go on YouTube and put in Governing Body of Jehovah's Witnesses and you'll, you'll see all kinds of videos of them spouting crazy stuff. Um, but really for me, um, when I first saw them, it, it was more just the awakening to this group is not God's organization. This is not you know, what they claim to be. Um, I mean, obviously by then I kind of knew that anyway, but it was really quite shocking to see what the religion of my childhood has become in the modern world like it's in in just the short time since i left i mean we're talking what 20 years getting on for now um and yeah the the changes are just remarkable and and that always struck me as strange for an organization that claims to be god's one true organization the the beliefs should stay the same everything really should stay pretty recognizable but now it's not recognizable at all so well, I was incarcerated. I tried to read all the different religious texts of the world. I had a Jehovah's um, Neighbours. And what I saw was the same stories popping up in like the different books. The Quran, the Bible, the Torah. Same cast of characters. I couldn't believe it. I was like, yeah. this is so strange. Mm. Um, were... Do the Jehovah's get their stories from? Well, they claim to follow the Bible <clears throat> to um, to the strictest degree. So it's the Christian um, Bible. Yeah. So the Christian Bible. Oh, okay. the, the curious thing is they they've rewritten it a few times now. <laughs> they uh, they would say that it's just the translation of the Bible. So they they've translated it into a more usable language the modern modern english they've actually well their their bible is actually the most translated book in the world um, but of course it would be they've got members all over the world who will work for them for free in translating it yeah. um but the the meaning in the scriptures has changed quite a few times there's uh, there's various examples in there that the the feel of the the scriptures is um it's hard to think of any examples offhand but the the language they use in their current bible which is what 2000 15 mm. is the newest edition of the bible the holy bible god's true word 2015 edition i mean it's a bit strange um <laughs> but yeah they it's not only the mm. the bible itself that they have manipulated to suit their 
their aims, um, the way their their literature backs it up. So when when I was a kid, we had the Watchtower magazine. We used to study it every Sunday at the meetings, and you would have the Bible and the Watchtower would be used as um, a way of explaining the scriptures. Whereas now that's kind of shifted to more the Bible can be used to explain the Watchtower. So there's this real feeling that nowadays you're you're more following this governing body than you are following Jesus and God. Yeah. And it's uh, it's quite troubling when you start looking at the actual beliefs of the witnesses. And it's not something I was going to really go too much into, but as a brief explanation, when John was saying about the 144,000 anointed class, one of the main tasks they will do is when the War of Armageddon comes and god's going to come along and destroy everybody their belief is that jesus is going to be doing the slaughtering so jesus up in heaven is going to come down and he's going to have the one hundred and forty-four thousand fighting alongside him to slaughter all the unbelievers which leaves this strange dynamic where you've got the leaders the eight guys who run this organization believe that their duty will soon to be to kill everybody who doesn't believe everything they're told to believe by them mm. So you can imagine, mm. yeah, the psychological impact of that. And the witnesses would find that hard to to contemplate and they would avoid thinking about yeah, those things. They would have, I was just going to say, they, they wouldn't want to talk about that. But but in fact, that's what it is, because in, in the Bible times, in Israelite times, if your children, for instance, we're talking about adult or teenage children were rebellious, the Bible talks about stoning them to death. Mm-hmm. And the parents had to pick up the first stone. That That's in the Bible. That's not Jehovah's Witnesses. Our Christian Bibles yeah. or Hebrew Bibles tell us that. But Jehovah's Witnesses interpret that as to being, that's why the shunning comes in. Because although now they can't stone us to death legally, but they can make sure that we are dead, spiritually yeah. dead and that your families treat you as spiritually dead mm. so the shunning or the disfellowshipping is the equivalent of being stoned to death but mm. without literally being stoned to death i mean there are videos of the of the governing body actually saying things to the effect of you know of course we don't stone them to death because legally we can't and in other words if we could we, we probably would, would. <laughs> yeah there is really that sense of it it's really that serious um but of course Jehovah's Witnesses pride themselves in being law-abiding citizens, which is, um, for the most part, true. Do they, Chris? Well, right, okay. <laughs> the organization, however, not so much. Mm. So, John, in by 1990, you'd become the chairman of the Hospital Liaison Committee, meeting doctors and going to international conferences. What was that like? Very good. Loved it. Because um, I, I was completely immersed and, and a faithful and good Jehovah's Witness, believed it absolutely wholeheartedly and thought we were doing a really good job because um, there there were and there are alternatives to using blood in many occasions. So I actually viewed it as almost like saving lives. I know that sounds a bit heroic and I don't mean it to sound that way, but if you could, if you could talk to a doctor that is only transfusing and you could bring them a medical article that says, look, this is what one of your colleagues is doing in another establishment. Could you maybe just change your way a little bit? And so it's not us telling the doctors. It was us giving the doctors other doctors' information 
Um, and so you'd go to an international conference and uh, on bloodless surgery, for instance, in cu- in countries like America where they've set up complete hospitals of bloodless surgery. So um, I, re- I thoroughly enjoyed that role, absolutely did, um, and found it very fulfilling. So many young Jehovah's Witnesses struggle with sex education, and it's a topic that was talked about regularly at the um, from the platform at meetings. So frequently looking back at it was disturbing. And as a child, you were, Chris, exposed to very graphic descriptions of acts from the platform. Do you want to expand on that? Yeah, so actually this connects quite closely to the when John was saying about having to sit outside of religious education classes at school. I was also excused from sex education at school. And the organization's view is that an organization like a school or what they would call a worldly organization will be teaching things in sex education that don't go in line with Bible principles. Um, So we were excused from that. But it's an issue that um, as a teenager, um, you're unable to experiment uh, because you're not allowed, as John's saying, you're not even allowed friends outside of the organization. Um, if you're in, you know, dating somebody in the organization, you're not allowed to touch them, you're not allowed to be alone with them, all these things. So from the platform, you'd regularly get talks where they're, they're telling you about different sexual acts that are all sins, everything's a sin, and anything you do or even think that the mind control is unbelievable. You're even there's they say if you're um, even thinking about a, a member of the opposite sex without the name to marry them, then you've already sinned. So you know we're still in this an amazing amount of pressure just to date somebody. But as a teenage kid, you're you're trying to find yourself, and it was it was really hard because I mean when I was growing up, you know, you, you'd meet people at school, you, you'd fancy them or whatever you couldn't go home and tell your parents you've met this person you know you had to hide this person and if you get caught with this person then you're going to get kicked out of home you're going to get kicked out of the religion the the pressure is enormous and for me growing up um i found it particularly hard um as a teenager i realized i was bisexual um it's something that as a jehovah's witness it's very clear that homosexuality is an unforgivable sin. And yeah, the the torture of flip-flopping between what do I believe and how am I something I don't believe in? And, you know, I, I soon realized that no matter what I did, I was, I was always going to have this feeling that God has created me to be somebody that he hates. And, uh, and yeah, I, I absolutely hated myself. I didn't understand myself. And, um, by the age of 13 or 14, I was having suicidal thoughts. Um, mm. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. It's interesting that you said God created me as for somebody to hate. Yeah. It's as if your entire indoctrination into this, you have to, had to explain it in terms of a result of God and if you fancied 
a woman then, I guess, which would be more politically correct in um, the context of what they want you to become. Mm. You couldn't even express that. No. If I if a scenario came along where in my late teens I met a girl and yeah. I loved her and did actually happen, mm. um, the only options are that either you convince her to become a Jehovah's Witness or you're going to lose everything. And and that's it. There's no there's no middle ground on it. Um it, it's really damaging. I mean the psychology in in just sexuality alone um and it's it's hard on anyone if you're from i'm sure a lot of people have found if, if especially if they're gay or or bi or anything you know if they've got parents who don't particularly agree with it just in society it's it's not uncommon and they know the challenges that come along with that but you add in the added threat that god's going to kill you if you continue along this path well you, i mean it's it's horrendous to go through and and for me um it wasn't until much later in life that i really you know got to the point where i could just say hey yeah do you know what I, i'm bi i mean i prefer women and and my situation at the moment is i've i've met a girl who fully understands my background and we're soon to be married which is is great but it's taking thank you but it's very hard to find love and and for someone who's been a jehovah's witness growing up once you leave everyone you meet that you might think could be a potential partner they've got to somehow understand all this they've got to understand where you've come from and it's it's really tough mm. like, it's really, really tough and a lot of former witnesses carry all kinds of trauma and mm. you know like say ptsd and depression and that, that expression that the eagles sang about from the, in the song hotel california that um you can check out anytime but you'll never leave you can never leave yeah. that's exactly what it is I know people who've, who have been ex-Jehovah's Witnesses for like 60, 70 years and have gone on to become church ministers. Still got hang-ups of when they were in Jehovah's Witnesses in the early years. Wow. So if you had a bisexual thought then, did that rack you with guilt and anxiety and did you think that it was some kind of test from God or why was God doing this to you? Any sexual thought. Any sexual thought. Any sexual thought. Right. Yeah. Anything you do, if you, you know, you, you fancy someone, I mean, like most teenagers, there were things I did that fall well outside of what the organization wanted. But, you know, if, mm. if it was found out, then yeah, game over. You know, it's like you, you can't, you can't even approach the topic. And the real damaging thing is that you're you can't go to I mean you can't go to anybody like your teachers because they'll feel obliged to tell your parents you can't talk about these issues you can't go to your parents about these issues because you already know that it's all written down in their literature and it's spoken from the platform constantly I mean it's almost like they're obsessed with sex I mean because they know it's the sin that most people will fall foul to you know it's natural to feel love for people um, so it's a regular topic in the meeting. It might be just worth mentioning as well that even if you're legitimately married to a Jehovah's Witness, there are certain sexual acts between husband and wife that are a no-go area. So oral sex, for instance, no-go area. I grief. When things are suppressed, from studying the psychology of deviant behaviour, when, when things are suppressed... 
they manifest in deviant behavior oftentimes. And we're going to get to the abuse here soon. Um, what, what abuse then? Are you okay to talk about? What I, I'm with, fine. With, with, with your yes. No. I, I'm. I'm. Yeah. They. They've. They've. Um. My daughter. Um. Has spoken publicly about this. Okay. Um. So. And I've spoken publicly about it. So no. I think it's just, it's just important to get the truth out there. That's all yeah. I'm interested in doing. How old was your daughter? Daughter's. When she this? was about twelve, I think, when it when it first happened. Yeah. Um. She first came to me. It was a, it was a relative, but but he was a an elder in the congregation. And how old was he? He was a, been about thirty four, thirty five, something like that. Okay. She actually said to me she didn't like the way that he was kissing her. She kept, that that was the introduction to me was I don't like the way he is kissing me, mm. and I was so naive, Sean. It was like phew, right over my head. Yeah, I thought because he was a very. Um, demonstrative person i thought that when we went round to his house he was a bit hands-on so i actually went to see him to say look do you mind when my daughter comes next just be a bit careful i complete i had no idea what she was actually trying to tell me yeah so i missed it completely so it went on actually for a few years and it, oh my goodness. Um, it wasn't until she was about 16 that we saw it, we ended up realising she'd been cutting her wrist with razor mm. blades, and then you think, my goodness, what's going on here? We're a good, we're a good Jehovah's Witness family. We don't yeah. do that sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's when it really hit, and um, it's a long story from there. But what actually happened was she, she said, I don't want Jehovah, she, I don't want it anymore, mm. um, and uh, so she she left, got a boyfriend who was not a Jehovah's Witness, and that meant that she had to be excommunicated and disfellowshipped. So the victim gets punished. Yeah. And what about the perpetrator? Well, the perpetrator didn't get punished for over 20-something years because my daughter thought she was the only victim. She went to the police. So we went to the police. I, I did with her um, 20 years ago, very, you know, very soon after the event. So was there a statute of limitations issue with um, that? No, there wasn't really. No, it was just a case that the police interviewed him. He gave a no comment interview. In those days, you could just say no comment, no yeah. comment. And you couldn't even tell a jury that in those days. Yep. So they just said, look, we do believe your daughter. We absolutely believe her. Mm. Um, and so did the mental health services because we obviously took her to there as well. They, she came out, the, the psychiatrist came out and said, I absolutely believe what she's telling me. But the police said, we don't think we'd get a conviction. So it went on for 20, 25 years. And it was only when my daughter reached a, she reached a point in her life when I think she didn't care anymore. So she, she wrote about a 10 or 12 page article, similar to, to your A4 sheets there, yeah. of all of the events that he did to her. And she published them. Wow. She she sent them to absolutely everybody wow. that knew him. What a brave girl! And um, one of the sheets fell in the hands of um, the partner of a police officer. Yeah, and the police officer saw it and thought, "What's what's this? What's going on here?" They took it to the CID. CID said, "We've got to do something about this." Really? He picked it up. That our CID officer was fantastic. Eventually, found another four victims. Um. So he's in prison now. He was he was in prison for fourteen years. 
But, wow. But, um, How many victims? Four, well, actually, there was five because one of the victims who were given evidence we didn't even know about, she came forward to give evidence to support my daughter and on the stand for the first time ever announced that he had done something to her. So... So but, was he was he still committing these acts of yeah. abuse then? It was yeah. something that Yeah. And yeah. how old was he by the time they got him? Oh, do you know what I'm not quite sure about that. Uh, 54, 55, something like that. Yeah. Something like that. Um but the strange thing is, Sean, once once you speak out in within Jehovah's Witnesses, you're a troublemaker. Because in effect, you're saying that elder my, my daughter was called a liar. He wouldn't do that. Not one of God's people wouldn't do that. So you you really are you really are seen as a troublemaker by speaking up about something like that. And because Jehovah's Witnesses will not support the victim, for instance, they wouldn't give police statements. They wouldn't come to court to give evidence. They just completely back away. So the victim is on; they're on their own, um, and that's still the same, same today. So, of course, when the perpetrator got convicted, they apologised to your daughter and made everything <laughs> all good and gave her yeah. a huge settlement. You, you haven't read the script. <laughs> um, no, 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 no. They Jehovah's Witnesses do not apologise. They will not say sorry. In fact, one of the victims, one of the other victims was an adult who was raped by this guy. Mm. She has successfully last February sued Jehovah's Witness organization the first time ever in this country. Really? She sued them successfully for vicarious liability, which in other words means that he was an elder and because of his position, he, he held undue influence over her and was able to successfully rape her. I know that sounds strange, but they, they held Jehovah's Witnesses liable. Now, I should say Jehovah's Witnesses are appealing that case, yeah. but she got £62,000 awarded to her. That was last, that was in February. Uh -huh. I think. So, um, no, they don't, they don't apologise. Okay, and that was your oldest daughter, That's right? my oldest daughter yeah. that was... Um, what happened with your middle daughter? Because she got disfellowshipped. She got disfellowshipped. Um, you know, to some degree, she probably suffered more because she saw her big sister of only just a couple of years go through hell. So she went through hell. She really, she really believed it. She, really, she suffers now, Sean, to be honest. Mm. My, middle, my middle daughter suffers... Um, quite terribly now from from the belief system even though she left it all those years ago <sighs> so what about your situation then abuse um so i never suffered you know sexual abuse within the organization yeah um but really i mean i've become passionate about the topic because of people like john yeah you know with me i i got to my mid-30s and you know i realized i'm still suffering from what happened so many years ago just from the belief system and 
I decided that I'd look to see if I could find any other former witnesses, anyone who's gone through a similar thing, just see if maybe I could find some of my old friends if they've left as well. And because they've completely cut me off, you know, it's very hard to find anyone. You, you can't go back to the congregation and say, hey, is anyone else left? Uh-huh. You know, it's, it's just not something that's going to happen. Is there a Facebook group for <laughs> right. it? Right. Well, there, there are actually. <laughs> yeah. So I went on. and Postates. I Yeah. If you, if you were, I mean, maybe there's listeners out there who want to get in contact with other. What contact witnesses. details can we put below this well, video? I mean, all you'd have to do is search XJW. And you're going to find all kinds of groups out there. Um, well, how can people contact you guys? They can if if people. We can add an email or a link. Or yeah, we can. Add I'm an very email. happy to have I've, it. I've yeah, got an email: um, jwprotest at gmail dot com. Mm-hmm. Um, people can contact mm-hmm. me if they're you know if anyone's looking for help. I mean, yeah. seriously, get in contact with us. And you know, I might not personally be able to help so much i might not be in the same area of the world as this person but we'll certainly get them in contact with people who Mm. who understand their situation so and we have a facebook group that's actually a closed one um because there are some some people who are suffering Mm. because they're on their own they may still be friends with their family they don't want their family to find out that they're ex jehovah's witnesses so we've got this um, Facebook group, which no one can access unless they're invited in, but we can get them invited in. Um, and it's a private group. And there's, oh, there's over a thousand people on that. Just that one group of, of people who have either been abused, victim of abuse, shunning or related to people. We're going to put all these links in the description box below the video. If you guys want to click down there and, and check that stuff out, I'll contact John and Chris. How does it feel speaking out about this? I mean, looking at your body language yeah. now, Chris, it's like you're, you're, going, <laughs> through, you're going through there. some stuff. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. mean, so what happened when I reached out was that I met with a group of former witnesses. And the thing that immediately struck me is the number of people in this room that have been abused as kids. I mean, that was just uh, gut-wrenching. I mean, this is... Are we talking physical, psychological, sexual? Everything. everything. All of them. But mostly the sexual abuse of children. Mostly sexual really abuse of children. Really so it's rife then. Yeah. And, and that was something where, you know, here I am carrying all this trauma just from the doctrines, just from growing up as a JW. Yeah. Um, and and I, it just hit me that day. I was like, you know, I, I've got to help these people get this message out get people talking about this you know yeah um so within a short period of time i've ended up on various podcasts and things um but one thing that i I wanted to really do is get the you know the government looking at this and try and and it's very difficult because as soon as you start saying you know i'm talking against a religious group suddenly you're confronted with this or use religious hatred all this all these things that you're going to get accused of it's it's not that um you know jehovah's witnesses individually absolutely you know most of them are lovely people they're just caught up in this this system of you know abuse and whether they realize it or not you know i i think most jehovah's witnesses do suffer um and you know i i've been involved with various protests and and getting the message out and and again that's why me and john find ourselves here with you is to just let people know that this is what's happening out there um and and some of the things the organization does are outright criminal um you know they'll talk to us about religious hatred but then i think we're the victims of their religious hatred if you can't 
change your religion if you can't walk away from the religion without being severely punished and losing your social network losing your family uh, I mean, to me this there's no doubt that it's them who have got the hatred you know even though you're out because it was indoctrinated into you for so long the threat of destruction at god's hands do you still feel that threat not anymore i, I mean i'm very much an atheist now um but you know it, the first thing after leaving was that i had to rebuild my life and that meant that everything that i had been taught or believed was now wrong so i had to find out who i am i i didn't know myself you know and and inevitably it led on led to quite a destructive path at first uh, you know went out and partied and you know <laughs> sex drugs and rock and roll dude <laughs> but yeah you, you you can easily end up on quite a destructive path and and it's not until later that you know i've suddenly got to this age where you know i've not got a particularly good job because i didn't get to go the further education i was straight out of home straight into earning any money to support myself um and even my relationships very late to to the to the party really with figuring out sexuality figuring out who i'm suited to finding anyone who will fully understand what my situation is so it was only over the last you know few years that i really got to a point where i feel you know I, I am comfortable with who i am but the the problem with the shunning and you know like you said to me you know i look anxious today i mean yeah i am anxious because just doing this podcast with you could have repercussions i hope it doesn't i hope that my loved ones understand the situation but you just never know and it's always a risk but that's the weapon they use that's why i need to do it that's why i need to be here what's the cost of your activism isn't it because you're getting such an important message out and preventing further victims absolutely i'm curious then if your entire being is invested in a belief system and then all of a sudden the deck is cleared mm. what does that do to a human it messes you up yeah, it, yeah it's it's difficult I the mean, very, are the various stages of adapting to that you know you just wing it to me i mean i've been i've been on this weird journey through life it's uh, there's so much i mean it, the things we're telling you today are just little highlights you know it's just mm. mentioning where we come from but you know every day you know you'll you'll do something and you suddenly think oh no that's not what i believe now you know that's not how i think this you've got to completely analyze mm. your mind and it drives you crazy and it really it wasn't until i i got professional help i mean it and that happened by accident um you know i was at a doctor's surgery and the doctor went as i said goodbye he said sit back down you know he's like we need to talk and and that was mm. it and and yeah it just all came out you know and um but you know i'm getting there um you say it all came out what came out everything just the whole everything about my belief systems there's there's a lot of things in my life that have happened that, that i wouldn't discuss but there's also a lot that has happened that I would and um yeah just it was only then realizing that most of the problems I'd suffered in life had the origin of this this cult hmm. that's where it all came from and, and it wasn't until then it really hit me that yeah this really damaged me this really has shaped my existence you know and I, I wish I could turn back the clock and go do it differently I wish my 
mum had never spoken to that witness who lived next door to her because that's how she found it i wish my dad had never gone into it but you can't change what's happened you can just change how you view things and you can't i mean one thing i always say is you can't change what's happened you can just change how you react to it so for me it's about just letting other people know to be cautious of this group and anyone who's struggling in it there's people like me who've been through it like john who've been through it and and we're here if you need to talk mm. or we can find you professional support we can find you local support groups and and to me that's what it's about i'm not here to tell people how evil jehovah's witnesses are or any of this stuff you know I, I don't believe that i think the most jehovah's witnesses are sincere i just think the organization themselves are really harmful really damaging and something mm. needs to change i think the legal situation has to change they have to make it illegal to shun i think that's the first thing um and and to make sure they report child sexual abuse and yeah and to report abuse was there a particular day or an event that triggered you to think this is all false um not so much it's a really weird thing because as i was growing up i would say i didn't really believe it but it's it's a very difficult thing because you kind of do and you kind of don't it, it it's a it, it's complete like screws your mind up you know it really is a tough thing to get your head around because a lot of the time you're thinking well this can't be right why would god make me who i am if i'm not allowed to be who i am why is if god's created everybody why is it so hard to follow his instructions why is it so hard to be what he wants us? why don't he just create us perfect mm. you know it makes no sense and you you end up with this, this spiral and it goes round and round and round and round and then you're taught well having these kind of thoughts is a sin you know, you, you just can't win and <laughs> like you know earlier on you kind of it's quite a flippant comment but how are you saying don't know I really don't. So it's... It's like a mental prison. Yeah, it's a gradual thing mm. as well. And I didn't really fully believe it. And um, for me, it was just, I was never going to stay as a Jehovah's Witness. It was, it, I wasn't once, the right personality. Once you see the, the background, as you were talking there, it, it reminds me, if you don't mind me using an illustration of the film, The Wizard of Oz, the original yeah. film. We, we all know, I don't want to spoil at the end, but they're all going to see the wizard because he's going to give them strength courage whatever they get to the wizard and what they find is t toto the dog just pulls the curtain back and it's it's not a wizard it's an old guy with the machinery and what's happened what is happening is jehovah's witnesses like us believed god was behind the machine god said this god did that. we've we've had the curtain pulled back and once you've seen behind the curtain it's no good going thinking, oh, it, but no, it is Jehovah. It is Jehovah doing it. it is Jehovah. The curtain's been pulled back. We can't go back there. So now we know it isn't the truth that we absolutely believe. And what brought you to that moment? Um, my mental health did, actually, believe it or not. I didn't have any doctrinal difficulties. I, I actually got to a point where I was seen by two elders. Uh, this is exactly true. I was sat, sat in, sitting on a chair. They were on a settee in a house. The two elders were telling me I had to give up my daughters. They actually used, one of them said, give up your daughters and stay an elder. So I had this choice. And at that point, I had what was a strange thing. It was like an out-of-body experience where I seemed to lose, le I left my head and I was up in the corner looking down on me. 
Now, I've spoken to a counsellor since then, and they say, no, that's extreme stress. They know exactly what happened. So I was looking down on the three of us, and I suddenly came to and thought, this is crazy. I'm not, do I'm not doing this anymore. And it was like a, a, a switch was turned off in my head. At, at the time, I even thought it might even be God doing it, saying, you cannot cope with this anymore. So I literally just said, I'm sorry, brothers, to the two men, brothers, shook their hand and left. There was no argument. You, you won't be seeing me anymore. It was just, I knew my mental health had reached a point where if I carried on, I'd probably be in, a, in, an, in an institution. Fortunately, it didn't get there. It didn't get to that point. And I remember leaving the front door, shutting the front door and jumping and punching the air. And I felt, <laughs> this is absolutely true, I felt a physical release of like, like pressure going. And it was an elation that I had not felt in years and years and years. And I, I didn't even fear telling my wife. I thought, I've got to go home now and tell my wife when I'm not going anymore. She completely understood. Can you just describe walking in and telling her what happened? <laughs> I just, I did tell her. What did well, you say? I just said, well, I said, you're never going to believe what happened to me. I think, I, I think I may have been having a mental breakdown. Well, I think what it is, she could already see the pressure because she knew that I was having visits from elders saying, don't see your daughters. She was already, already having some sort of doubts about certain things herself. But I, as I say, I supported her for another 10 years. She was the most loving and supportive wife to me, didn't put any pressure on me. Neither did I put any pressure on her to leave. It has to be an individual decision. Uh, and neither did I do that with any of my other family. Um, but I can just say the personal relief of knowing that I got off that hamster wheel because when you're in a routine, Jehovah's Witnesses keep you busy. You're on that wheel going round, going to the Kingdom Hall meetings twice a week. You must go out preaching. You must do other things. It's like that. You don't actually get time to say, do I, why do I believe this? What? And as soon as you can step off that wheel, you just get time to think. You can start investigating. You can start looking on the Internet now about, well, wh why did they used to say this? Why, why do they now say this? How come that's changed if it's God's organization? And you can start looking and doing research. And that is the internet that's brought a lot of people away from Jehovah's Witnesses. But the, the first thing that happens is they have to recognize there's something not right here. I don't know what it is. And that's, that's what started me off. Something's not right. Are all your family members out now? They are all out. All the, only out. People, the only people who are in is the abuser and his family. Mm. Heavily in very heavily in and you know what jehovah's witnesses even went to see him in prison because in prison he was allowed to talk to other prisoners about his beliefs mm. which is fine but jehovah's witnesses would then calculate how many hours he spent and that would be added to the congregation's figures to be sent off for preaching bloody hell <laughs> wow they visit him but not you uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah so if everyone's out your wife came out. My wife came out simply because she saw a program that Chris mentioned about the governing body. Yeah. The governing body, one of the governing body, gave a talk about child abusers and saying that people who say that we abuse, they're apostates. 
And my wife said, well, my daughter's not an apostate. My daughter was abused, mm. the lying. And, and she actually saw through the governing body member himself. And what she, it's what he said knocked her out. Wow. Yeah. And how was she after coming out? Was there a lot of discussions, philosophical discussions? She's, um, she's bitter. Yeah. She's um, she's worse than me. Um, she's become an atheist. She's she's passed way past me in her hatred for Jehovah's Witnesses and all they stand for. Really, I'm not. I'm not at that point. Yeah, and and I think you know we we've as Chris has said we we don't hate. We certainly don't hate Jehovah's Witnesses. We've we've we know that it's a cult. It is a cult. It's, I'm very comfortable in saying that it's a cult now it's a it's mind control and um you, you if you're allowing people to control your mind they're trapped um they are trapped it's i'm sorry about using illustrations but the one of the best illustrations i heard was how they catch monkeys in us in asia mm. they they use a coconut they 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 get it they get it they put a little hole in they attach it to a, a wire or a string and they put a little treat in there and a monkey comes along and can just get its hand in the, the coconut and then when it grabs the treat, its hand is expanded. Now it can't get out. Is it trapped? Well, it is. But all it's got to do is let go of the treat and it can get out. But it won't let go? It won't get let, let go. <laughs> Jehovah's Witnesses are trapped like that because like that they, they want to live forever. They want to see their loved ones again. They want paradise. They want to play with the furry animals. So I'm going to believe that. And people like myself and Chris come along and say, look, you really do need to think thing. No, I'm, I'm, I'm believing it. So they've got, once they've got their hand around that treat, until they let go, they're not going to get out. So they're trapped, but they're not really trapped. What is that afterlife belief? Well, um, it's funny because John just sort of mentioned seeing the loved ones again. Um, that's all to do with their belief that if you die, you get resurrected into this paradise earth, um, which is there's a few technicalities to it. I mean, it, if you do die and you're not a believer, then you will come and get judged. I mean, I'm a bit rusty on the details, but um, yeah, you, you have this chance of coming back to paradise and living forever so a lot of them if you, and most people have obviously lost family members to you know to death and uh there's this constant belief that you're going to see them again and that's a really i mean that is the treat that they're going to hold on to and you know you've spent the so last you're gonna be re reunited in a paradise with your deceased family members and if you've held on to that you know if you've lost a loved one and you've held on to that for years um, i'm going to meet them again and then suddenly you get to this point where you're thinking this organization is not quite right. It's a hell of a thing to let go of that belief. You know, you, one thing when I did leave and it really struck me that, you know, I'm not involved with this anymore. I can go and get on with my life. I, I thought of all the loved ones I'd lost and didn't mourn. I didn't mourn them because I was going to see them again. So it's like they've all just died again. So when you realized it was false, that was one of the big things that hit you that you're not going to see your loved ones yeah what other things hit you well the the other thing is all the loved ones that i hadn't lost but i just hadn't socialized with because i was a jehovah's witness and they weren't mm. my grandparents 
um that that hit me pretty hard I, I was like you know i've just all my life my grandparents have looked at me as this this kid in this group who they can't send christmas presents to they can't send birthday presents to i'm not allowed to really socialize with them all that much but you know, we just saw them occasionally but they lived the other end of the country um so how did all of those family members treat you when you came out well one thing I did pretty soon after leaving was to move to be closer to my grandparents. Yeah. And, uh, and that was great, you know, and for the last few years of their life, I got to know them. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I'll always treasure that. Did yeah, they try and make up for lost time with the gifts? <laughs> well, my nan was pretty stubborn. She'd send us stuff anyway. Yeah. Uh, it's oh. quite funny, actually, because um, one thing I, I'll always think fondly of my grandmother, she used to love sending us Halloween stuff. And uh, my parents hated it because it's all, you know, ghosts and ghouls and he's <laughs> like monsters and yeah. you know and of course that's satanic to them so yeah that that was always quite amusing i'm sure my grandmother did it just to stir, <laughs> stir the uh, emotions but yeah so are both of you guys expert witnesses in jehovah's witness court cases um I, i've not been involved with court cases so much i'm you know i i feel that that's there's better people for it people who have perhaps got a personal case they can take to it um, so I tend to just, for me, it's just activism to let people know and to get the word out there and to, to support people like John who you know, might need a platform to get their story out. What court cases I've, are they involved I've, in? Um, I've been involved in some court cases where um, I've been called to explain about what are the beliefs of Jehovah's Witnesses, how might they affect a certain person. Might that might that affect the, what, the one case I was involved in was actually was about the statute of limitations where someone who was brought up as a Jehovah's Witness and was abused, but because of the beliefs of Jehovah's Witnesses, didn't want, didn't want to testify or didn't want to come forward because you know you're testifying against your brother, your fellow Jehovah's Witness. So sometimes it's only later when you stop being a Jehovah's Witness and you can look back, then you can say, he did that to me or she did that to me. Then you want to say something and it might be that you're out of time. Well, Knowing that Jehovah's Witnesses are so um, are such a cult that that might have an effect on the timing of when might someone might be able to say something happened. So I've done that, and I've I was involved in the case last year, of last year as well, or in the Royal Courts of Justice, where this person was um, held the, the Jehovah's became vicariously liable. So um, how does it feel to get up on the stand? Um, it's it's nerve wracking, but I, I when I was a Jehovah's Witness, I passionately believed it a hundred percent and acted genuinely in its interests. I now passionately know that it isn't the true religion a hundred percent, and I'm just as passionate in being honest about you know the deficiencies of it. So you guys work with victims as well without naming any names do you have any stories of what's happened to these victims anything particularly stand out you know there's so many so many victims i mean there's a lot of stories out there um a, a lot of the time i i quite often feel that they're not my stories to tell um, but there are a lot of stories out there and, and I think anyone who even just goes onto YouTube and puts my Jehovah's Witness story or anything like that in there, you'll get mm. hundreds of testimonies from people, hundreds a, a, and hundreds. A particularly wicked one 
I won't name the name now, but it's out there in the newspaper. Last last week, one of our colleagues, an ex-Jehovah's Witness, committed suicide. She was the daughter. Uh, she was being cared for. She was in care. And the, her brother and her were in care f- with a Jehovah's Witness in Gloucestershire. It's in. It's all in the newspapers and on the BBC, so it, it, it's easy to see. Um, the most horrific, the most horrific abuse you could possibly think of was mm. done to these kids growing up. So much so that it's left them absolutely scarred. This lady has written a book, as has her brother written a book about it, and she goes round to schools, similar to yourself, Sean, mm. um, but sadly it beat her and she killed herself oh last week. Oh, my goodness. So, um, um, so, you, so able, there's an example. Are you able to say her name then? Because people want to Google that. Well, let me. T- I'll tell you the name of the mum because she's she's a, a convict. She's she's out. Her name's Eunice Spry. How do you spell Eunice? Oh, E U N I C E. I would imagine S P R Y is the name of the mother. She oh. served time. She's out now. I understand she's now still a Jehovah's Witness in Gloucestershire. But I can tell you the the most wicked things were done by that lady. Um, and her, as I say, her daughter, her, her the daughter that she she cared for, in care is the one that's just committed suicide. So, if there's a abuse case been reported to the police, and the authorities contact the Jehovah's Witnesses, do they help them with the investigation? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I've about five years ago, I gave a talk to about 16 or 17 officers of Operation Hydrant. Operation Hydrant are the are the team of police officers that support other forces in dealing with institutional sexual abuse. And at that meeting, four or five of the officers gave their testimony of cases they were they were presently dealing with with Jehovah's Witnesses. And all reported non-cooperation, absolute non-cooperation. And I can, I know that's true because that's what we had in our case, my own case, that of about seven, eight or nine elders that were approached, um, none would cooperate at all with the police. Our, our, the CID guy, who was fantastic, just couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe the non-cooperation. My best friend, who was a Jehovah's Witness, who is a Jehovah's Witness, um, he did agree to testify. He knew more about the case than anyone else. And then two weeks before the case was due to go to court, he tried to get out of it. And I know why, because they got to him. How do they get to you? They get to you by saying, if you go up there, you're going to be struck off as an elder. Mm. If you do that, and this, and this person was a very, very significant elder. And so he couldn't get out of it. So guess what? On the stand, he couldn't remember anything. Couldn't remember anything. We've seen a huge backlash against the Catholic Church. Sins of My Father is one of the documentaries whereby they bring in these high-priced lawyers and they tell the, you know, the victims, family members, oh, you know, this is all going to be handled and disciplined and mm. and all they do is move him 30 40 miles away and if it does yeah. go to court the lawyer comes in and gets him a little sentence to the point now where i'm hearing stories of pedophiles joining the catholic church because they know 
they can have a huge career of having all these victims and the church will come in and protect them with all of their resources. How much money does the Jehovah's Witness, the, ho the whole entity have? Or is that a mystery? And, and you know, do, do they do the same thing as the Catholic Church? They just bring in these high-priced lawyers? A lot of the time they use their own lawyers who are also Jehovah's Witnesses. Oh. So so this is another funny thing. If you were, you know, we were saying about further education, yeah. if you took up a law degree with the intention of being a lawyer for Watchtower, that would be encouraged. Mm. So you, you're always going to find that in the court cases and some are televised you know there's there's certain cases that we've seen footage of and a lot of their lawyers will basically just lie but they'll do it in they'll use evasive language so mm. technically not they're, a lie but they're it's allowed very to evasive. lie they they actually call it theocratic warfare it's in other words you're lying for god if god if god okay. is under attack i.e god's organization then you may need to lie they won't call it lying. It's theocratic warfare. But just going back to your question, in four or five years ago, the Australian government set up a commission to look at specifically Jehovah's Witnesses. And over a 40 or 50 year period, they found on the books of Jehovah's Witnesses, 1,006 pedophiles, Jehovah's Witnesses, of which none reported to the police, over 2,000 victims and in, in Australia right now, they've set up the redress scheme where all religions are being invited to say sorry and also come up with some money for the victims. Jehovah's Witnesses absolutely refuse to say sorry and to join the redress scheme. And I should just mention that right only two or three weeks ago, we had in this country the ICSA panel, independent inquiry into child sexual abuse set up by our government. Jehovah's Witnesses were two days on the stand didn't apologise, and just like the Church of England last night were castigated by um, uh, the, the panel because of putting the reputation of the church before victims, at least the, the, the Church of England have apologised, and the Archbishop of York and the Archbishop of Canterbury have said, we're sorry, we're going to make sure this does not happen again. Um, I doubt if you'll see... In the new year, when Jehovah's Witnesses' report comes out, it'll be interesting to see what their reaction is. I had a friend who was molested by a Catholic priest, and he showed me the discovery for the legal case. And in this diocese, they had like house or more than one house on every street. Um, the old people had been put into like Catholic care homes, and the, the church gets the house, or the old people were just giving them the homes kind of as a way of buying a place in heaven. That's how yeah. it was pitched to them. And then that money then goes to settle these lawsuits and pay for these lawyers and all these people are making these donations. That money's going to protect pedophiles. Yeah, that happens a lot with the witnesses. So all of their work is donations. Um, one thing that's quite a curious thing that we've been observing recently is that their property portfolio has started to have some strange shifts they've been selling their kingdom halls all over the world thousands and thousands of these buildings mm. and the the money or at least when i was in i believed it was going to build new kingdom halls because there was a shortage what well, is not a shortage they're, they're building new ones but whenever they build them they're they're built in such a way they could be used as maybe a shop or a warehouse different things so when they sell it it's got resale value but we there are other xjw's at the moment who have 
been trying to calculate the value of their property portfolio and we are talking billions billions mm. yeah. billions and billions and there have so this led us to the other suspicion that especially in australia with the australian royal commission they're looking to try and calculate how much do we find this organization and how much compensation should there be and obviously being um a charity which is another thing i'd like to see them stripped of as well their charity status um but uh they have started to shift the money around the world so there would have been a donation from the australian branch to the uk branch and then another donation to the us headquarters so that you know there are activists that have traced all this money around and it's uh, it's all to make them appear poor where they're facing lawsuits and mm. yeah it's it's a terrible thing and um yeah, there's been a lot of out-of-court out settlements. There's, uh, I mean, there's some court cases in America with tens of millions of dollars that were paid mm. out to victims. So this is uh, is costing them. And, and unfortunately, those costs are passed on to the rank-and-file members by, you know, they've donated to build their lovely kingdom halls and uh, those are now being sold and they're joining with other congregations. So they have to travel further mm. to their meetings and uh yes uh, they've changed the situation in this country last year they set up the um the kingdom hall trust and instead of each town like in guildford for instance you might have two three or four congregations all own their own kingdom halls they've all given their kingdom halls to the the central body um so they they no longer own their own kingdom halls all the money that they have in the bank accounts is given to the central body so this Kingdom Hall Trust now runs them from a central London base, um, which means that the local congregations don't have any assets. So if, if a local person was to be sued as, a, as a, a child abuser, the congregation don't have any money now to, to settle. So there's a big question mark, as Chris said, is why are they doing this? Is this, is this a way of getting round getting round uh, uh, responsibilities to set to settle it's financial engineering to create a legal shield hmm. to protect the assets yeah okay then so these kingdom halls what what are they and what do they what's it like going in a kingdom hall what would you expect to see they're, they're quite bland bland <laughs> yeah so i mean they're all different in, in different parts of the world, obviously, but they're new um, kingdom halls. I mean, it's a very basic hall with lots of seats and a platform at the front. Um, one funny characteristic that quite a lot of us remark on is the lack of windows. Lack of windows. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a funny thing. We've always, it's this on, ongoing joke in the community, really, that, you know, they don't have windows. And, yeah. and I don't know exactly what the logic of that is. Maybe it's so they can't be distracted looking out the window in the boring meetings. But yeah, um, yeah they very tidy buildings very plain very bland but you so know versus the catholic church then you've got the you know the stained glass yeah. windows and all of the art why why is it bland well that's the funny thing they actually criticize the catholics quite a lot over exactly that you know the display of wealth and, and I, I, one reason i suppose is like that is so they can make more money by not decorating them with lavish <laughs> decorations you know it's more more donation yeah, money for the they're, machine they're but. just seen as functional buildings a bit like the the old the old village hall would be an oblong shape yeah a stage seats out and seats out in the main hall toilets Mm -hmm. maybe a couple of small rooms at the back for committee members to sit in and yeah. work. but that's it and, and always tastefully decorated 
But as Chris said, no, there's no idols, there's no cross, there's no nothing like that at yeah. all. And, and talking about that, funnily enough, the congregation that I belonged to had in the past quite a well-known painter as part of the congregation, or, or rather, I should say, his wife was a, was a member. He wasn't. Quite a famous painter. And our congregation had two of his paintings. The... Um, <laughs> the word came down, sell the paintings <laughs> and give the money to the Watchtower organization because they're too much of a risk to have in the kingdom. So they ha- they got sold. <laughs> so you couldn't even have paintings in the kingdom. <laughs> Is there anything either of you guys miss from the Jehovah's Days? No. No. <laughs> no. Other than, uh, uh, there's a couple of people I think about and I wonder how they're doing. But yeah. until they come out, I'll never hear from them. Yeah. So, no. No, but, I, I had 55 years of it. 55 years? 55 years of it. So wow. the answer to that is absolutely not. It wasn't all bad. I enjoyed lots of my association with the, some of those people. Yeah. So, you know, it would be wrong to say it was all terrible. It, was, it wasn't. But believe me, there is life outside yeah. Jehovah's Witnesses. And that's the thing that I don't think Jehovah's Witnesses who are trapped in think that worldly people are all bad they're all murderers adulterers stealing thieving my experience of coming out of from jehovah's witnesses and seeing what normal people are like is wow wow there's some they're nice people yeah really that really really really, is a shock to find out that most people are nice people yeah yeah that's a funny thing for me as well because um you know like john said we were taught that everybody's evil (laughs) and and the funny thing is now looking back the friends i did have in there were only friends with me because i was a jehovah's witness yeah Whereas my friends now are friends with me because they genuinely love me. <laughs> so they don't have anything at all that would ever make me go back. Yeah. Nothing. Well, we've got some exceptions in here. I mean, Joe and James look pretty evil, don't you think? Well, <laughs> yeah, that's why they're, 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 they're sat over there. <laughs> it's the headphones and the laptop. It's not, they've not, not got anything that would ever convince me to go no. back. Yeah. Absolutely not. So... I'm sure that some people are going to watch this who are perhaps in and maybe questioning the beliefs or some people maybe on the precipice of coming out. What do you say to those people? Don't don't be frightened to investigate. The problem with Jehovah's Witnesses is you're told you can only read Jehovah's Witness literature. You're only going to get the truth by reading Jehovah's Witness literature. So anything that's like against Jehovah's Witness or just presenting an alternative view is Satan. It's, the, it's Satan's organization going to attack you. And you do think that if you immediately you go online to a site that would be classed apostate, you think God is going to strike you with lightning. That's the immediate thing. And then when you find he doesn't strike you with lightning... In actual fact, there's some interesting stuff there. And I didn't know that. I didn't know we used to believe that. I didn't know the governing body said this. And it's all true. Um, so just do investigation. God will not strike you with lightning. You might discover something to your benefit. Has the internet, therefore, sabotaged their ability to contain you within this knowledge spectrum? Yeah. The, the internet's the worst thing that's ever happened to them. Is it? Totally. Because, I mean, so even the fact that we're here today, 
Like what? What platform would we have previously had to tell Ron. people? Right. Yeah. So the other thing with their literature, like I said earlier, that you know they they change the literature once it's all stored in their online library. You know, uh, they the information control is the key thing. So they can control the information until suddenly you go onto Google and put in Jehovah's Witnesses. And and actually, I'll urge you to do it. Anyone go go and just put Jehovah's Witnesses and then hit the news tab. It's a remarkable thing. You'll see. You'll see what they're about. And I, I don't. I, I haven't done that today, but I, I can pretty much assure you that high up in that list will be some child sexual abuse case. And people who are thinking of getting out, maybe people who have been abused and are stuck, people who are questioning their beliefs, they can contact you guys, can they? Yeah, sure. I mean, one thing when you say people who have been abused, I'm going to say one thing. The first thing you need to do is go to get legal advice. Go to the police. Because that's one thing that the witnesses are told not to do, or they're encouraged not to do. The police are the enemy. So the police work for Satan, blah, blah, blah. You know, do you think yeah. that would be too intimidating? Perhaps reaching out to you guys would be yeah. an easier step for them? Yeah, if you reach out to, to us or any other you know, XJWs anywhere, mm. I'm sure you're going to find people who will walk you through the process. Mm. They've probably been through the process. Uh, you know, we, we're there for them. We love them. Yeah. I mean, this is why I was doing protests. I mean, when I say protests, a lot of people think, oh, you know, you stand there shouting with banners. That's not, not what we were doing. What I was doing was I was, uh, looking for particularly young people because I could relate to that, uh, young people who perhaps didn't want to be at these conventions. And it was always at their big meetings. We would, we would protest. I, I don't really like the term protest because it, it sounds quite confrontational, but it is much more, uh, uh, you know, we'll stand there and we'll say, hey, guys, we're here for you. You know, if you want to talk, talk to us. Here's mm -hmm. how you contact us. So we're all about supporting people on their journey um, and just being there for advice. I'm not going to tell people what to believe. No. I mean, personally, I, I'm an atheist. I, I don't believe John is. I'm, but, I'm, know, yeah, I'm, I'm a don't know at the moment uh, with regard to that. I have to be honest. I was just going to say I'm very happy to put my, my email address down for people to contact me what what i won't do is debate religion with anyone i'm not i don't want to try to convince you to leave if you just would like to chat i'm very happy to do so but i don't particularly want to try to debate anything with anyone um you know you, you everyone's entitled to their own beliefs so we're going to put john's email in the description box below this video and do you have any links that you'd like to share with the audience john um i'll I'll, can I have a think about that? Yep. So, I, and if there are links that we can put down, I'm sure there will be. Yep. I'm sure there will be. I'll, I'll make sure that you get them to put down. And what's your preferred method of contact? Email, well, social email, media, yeah, website? email address. We can put my email address your on email there. As well. um, so, we'll, if anyone, again, like John, I'm, I'm not here to debate with people about religion. It's just not a topic I'm particularly yeah. fond of. Um, but, yeah, for me, especially if you're a young person who just doesn't know uh, you know i'm not going to convert you i'm not going to tell you not to be a jehovah's witness in fact actually i'll tell you a quick example of what happened at the last protest i did actually because it leads on to that i had a young young guy who'd come out and, and he he was really you could tell he was uncomfortable with being at their convention and he he started talking to me and i took him aside and i said you know you're going through a lot of things I went through, you know, it was a similar story. And in the end, he was actually really shocked when I told him that he needs to stay a Jehovah's Witness. He needs to go in and stay going to the meetings. And he was really shocked that I'd be saying this. But my reason is because he needed to do it for him. He needed to stay back in there, but just look at it slightly differently, be more critical with the way he thinks about it. We'll be there when he's ready. 
and that's always been my approach you know i i know when i was in as a kid even though i was kind of siding with coming out i know the repercussions would be there i knew that you know being kicked out of the home all those kind of things are there so i'm never going to tell you to stop being a jehovah's witness i'm never going to tell you that what i will say is that you can come out and and you can get information from us you can get support from us and and really that's what motivates me to do to do this podcast and to do things like this it's really important work and i commend you both is there anything else you'd like to say in conclusion no just thanks for giving us the yeah platform, thanks really. thanks for giving us the opportunity to um to, t to tell people that you know there is there is life after jehovah's witnesses yeah well we hope you have enjoyed this podcast it's been absolutely fascinating for me I have learned some new words today. <laughs> Theocratic warfare, <laughs> disfellowshipped, elders. Um, yeah, love to learn new stuff. So, and I really appreciate what John and Chris are doing. They're preventing further victims. They're preventing people for you know. They're helping people get out if they are you know at a phase in their lives where they're thinking about these things and they, they don't know what could possibly happen next by looking at the story they can see there is life after this and absolutely heartbreaking you know to hear about your daughters and i hope that your daughters can get you know peace of mind um yeah after going through all this that's it's really tragic yeah well we, we, we're still supporting them yeah. and, they, and they support me um i don't think i've ever had such a fantastic relationship with my family yeah uh, and that is that's the big thing out there that now i would say that um the, the thing that i feel so sad about is that there are hundreds thousands of ex-jehovah's witnesses that mm. have not got a relationship with their family yeah. and will not have prepped for the rest of their lives that's, yeah and i hope um things go okay with your fat parents as well Chris. Thank you. yeah yeah I'll give you a quick fist bump then. Cheers. Well, then. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Sean. <laughs> Please let us know what you have thought about today's video in the comments section. Like I said, in the description box are going to be the email addresses and any links they're going to send me. Huge thank you to all the new subscribers and also thank you to people who've donated so we can film these in the studio with our cameraman and sound engineer. All the links to our so socials and donation links are in the description box below this video. Cheers for watching. And we will be bringing you more content soon. Thank you.